Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Hello, and welcome to the DJE Podcast. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Our guest is Mr. Ray Reyes out of Orlando, Florida, and he shares this multifamily journey with us. He started out a long career in the military, started doing some single family investing as they were getting stationed around the country, got his feet wet there and, and saw the light with real estate, and then graduated to these larger multifamily projects that we talk a lot about on this show. So he talks about building the team, what he looks for in a market, uh, business plan, all that fun stuff. I think you're going to enjoy it and get a lot out of it. Before we dive into that episode, two quick notes. If you're not on the DJE investor list and you want to be seeing our upcoming projects we put out, you can register at djetexas.com and the link is in the show notes. And secondly, if you have interest in plugging in with the group to go out and run these deals to be the operator and buy large apartment complexes as an investment vehicle, we created apartmenteducators.com as a complete ecosystem to do that. We were just out at our San Antonio meeting last night, over 100 people out there, great speakers from Houston, incredible networking, our members doing deals left and right, doing 10 and $20 million deals. So if that's what you want to plug into, you can go to apartmenteducators.com, also in the show notes. Okay, without further ado, let's get into this episode with Mr. Ray Reyes. Here we go. Ray, it's great to see you, sir. Thanks for coming on the show. How are you? Uh, Devin, I'm great, man. Thanks for having me on. I, I love I love talking real estate, so looking yeah. forward. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, let's talk shop. You know, multifamily, real estate, team building, capital raising, all that fun stuff. Uh, before we get into it, how about some background on you? What you know? What's your story? Where are you from? How did you find this real estate game? What what brought you to it? I know the great question, and I try not to go too long because I'm a little bit older, so I, you know it may take me a while. But especially <laughs> great. the synopsis, I, you know, I'm I'm the I'm the I'm the kid that that played Monopoly. You know, I'm, that was my favorite game. It, it, it kind it. of always been with me. Of course, you get into rich dad, poor dad, and cash flow. There's some other games, but essentially, Monopoly kind of started it. I always like that aspect of the game, right? You know, you kind of build and you know, you eventually you get to a hotel, okay, multifamily instead of a hotel, but you, you get somewhere, you, you start small and you leverage. And Monopoly is not a game about how much cash you end up. I mean, at the end of the day, you win that game by having people land all over the on your properties, right? So I, I got that. I got that very early on. So then essentially, uh, I was born Puerto Rico, raised in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I went to Marquette University. Um, and Somewhere uh, you know, before I started college, I needed money for college. Of course, you know you have these ideas about what you want to do, but at the end of the day, it all kind of starts with education. And and that and that in that time frame, there was not this you know this real focus on you know uh, education related to economics or you know things that you that really drive the bottom line. It was all about okay, you need to go to college. So that was my mindset. Um, but I needed money, and so I, I joined the, the military. So I could have you know money for college, um, and uh, and sure enough, I joined the military. I I loved it so much that when I got out of college, I actually went through ROTC and then went on, on active duty uh, military shortly thereafter. What branch? Army. Excellent. So uh, I did twenty eight years uh, of total service, uh, about six 
reserve years. That was kind of that, that getting started, you know, money for college. And then, of course, once I graduated, I did 22, almost 23 years active duty military. And uh, I enjoyed it. I really did. I loved it. I did everything I wanted to do in the military. Sure. Um, and at the end there, it was kind of one of those things where, okay, do I just kind of keep going, uh, you know, try to get to Colonel? That was kind of next. I was Lieutenant Colonel, pretty senior Lieutenant Colonel. Um, and then I realized that, you know, I'd kind of done everything I needed. I wanted to do in the military. I served my country. Uh, and it was just becoming very much about administration, right? It was just right. administrative work. You weren't no, you weren't really leading troops at that point. At least I wasn't. It was it was more staff work, and and that kind of got me to the point where okay, I was like okay, let me transition into real estate. I'd invested in single family along the way, right? I didn't I didn't do it wasn't like I didn't do any single family investing, but I I did I did some of that. But a conscious effort was made towards the end of my career to make that transition, and my last job made it especially easy because I essentially was working in a place where, you know, I'm sure a lot of people now are familiar with the skiff, right? So I was working in a place where I, I couldn't have my personal phone. I, you know, right. it, it, you know, it was frowned upon that you were doing anything related to anything but work, work-related, you know, classified information. And uh, so I had to make up, I had to make a choice at that point. I couldn't do both. I would have liked to have been in a job where I could have done, you know, you know, my, my W-2 and then my, 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 uh, my investing but that wasn't the case. And so I just made a conscious retirement uh, effort to, uh, or decision, excuse me, to retire. And uh, I jumped on a couple of deals while I was in the process of retirement and haven't looked back since, man. I love it. I absolutely love it. So you did some single family stuff. Was this houses you were buying and renovating or did you buy turnkey stuff that you managed yourself? What was that very first real estate investment for you? Yeah, good question. Uh, a lot of it is is really more. It was it was turnkey, and and uh, most of it was the army's putting me somewhere. Do I rent? Do I live on base? Or do I buy? And yeah. I always bought. I mean, to me, it didn't make any sense to to live on base. Essentially, you know, we, we uh, you know the federal government when they move you around somewhere, they give you a housing stipend. I mean, it right. depends on which agency you're with, but we got what was called a basic allowance for housing, and that was money that we got to pay for housing. And so I had a choice. Do I want to use that money and rent someplace? Uh, do I want to use that money and pay down a mortgage? Or they would eliminate it if I lived on base. So I wouldn't get the housing allowance, but I essentially live for free on base. So those are those are it. So it was a lot of us living in a property for a couple of years. And then you know, do we sell it or do we hold it? And a lot of times we held. There were a couple that we sold, but primarily we held. So I had a little bit, a little bit there. I did do a couple of, well, I was in Texas. I was in Texas for about six years. Um, at least my wife was, I was gone a lot, but we were in Texas for about six years. And I did buy a couple of properties that were investment properties. And I bought a couple in Florida after the, I guess, right after the 2008 debacle, right around 2010, 11, I bought a couple of investment properties in, in Florida and they did phenomenal, right? Because you, you buy right. I don't care what you buy. If you buy right, it's going to make you some money. Uh, yes, sir. So, so that that was it. So primarily just stuff that we bought. The one drawback to that, because a lot of people say, well, that's great. You know, the problem is I could never live, uh, get my wife to live in a quad. You know, you know, hey, I want to, I want to, I want to buy this <laughs> quad. I'm going to live in one. I'm going to rent the other three. No, that wasn't going to work. You Makes know, sense I, to me, but yeah, <laughs> I get it, man. <laughs> um, were you guys using VA loans on those? On some of them, some of them we use that because once you tie up a VA loan, unless you refi out of it, it's kind of tied up. So we we do we did some FHA as well. 
Sure. Yeah. Still really low down. Okay. Yes. So you, you bought the little greenhouses, you, you moved around with the, with the military. Um, at some point you're thinking about trading up to that red hotel, right? So what, what was the catalyst for going bigger for you? I think it was just the amount of work that was going into finding a, a, a one, a single unit property up to four, yeah. I guess. But you know, the amount of work that you put in, um, it just was not going to get me to where I needed to go quickly. I mean, I, when I was ready to retire, I was already in my forties. So it's okay. It's, it's, uh, you know, do I really want to go one house at a time? Well, no, there is a different way. There's a better way to scale. Uh, and, and oh, by the way, it's, it's a team effort, which I liked, you know, I'm yes. coming from the military. We're, we're used to working in teams. And so this was an opportunity, you know, to do that as opposed to on a single family side, but a lot of it is primarily individually. I mean, Yes, you can you can have an entity that that acquires a ton of houses, portfolio kind of stuff. But uh, for the most part, you know, your 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 one off investor is doing it all him or herself. Totally different mindset. Yeah. And I, and I love that. Uh, love that team approach. Love that aspect of the larger deals. So what was your first step? Did you join a coaching program? Did you have a buddy? Did you partner up? You know, it's um, it all makes sense on paper, but going out there to pursue larger deals is is scary for the first time. How did you approach that? Yeah, no, it's a good question. I, I, for me, it was always something that I that I wanted to do. I was not uncomfortable doing it. Of course, I had obviously some money put away. I had some properties. I'd already gone through a process uh, with investing. So once you once I understood that, you know, generally speaking, I could I could operate in the space. I wanted to make sure I understood the language. So what I did was um, I I call it the uh, I call it the foot the door approach. The what um, approach? The foot in the door approach. Foot in the door. Okay. I like yeah, it. So all that is, is essentially, um, I, I personally picked the locations before I looked for people that were, for syndicators that were operating in those spaces, in those locations. Because right. I, I wanted to understand the process. So I deliberately did that. Some people may want to just follow a syndicator on and they invest in Alaska. I'm going to invest in Alaska. Well, no, I, I wanted to focus on this, the places based on my analysis of, the, of those those locations and why I felt that they were they were valuable. Um, and so once I did that, then I then I I got off to some uh, networking events and started, you know, telling people, hey, I'm looking for, you know, people that are working in these spaces here. Um, I've got some money I can put at it. Uh, I can do this with that and the other. I am a active military, so I, I can't do a lot of physical work, but, you know, time wise, but I can put some money into some deal risk capital or otherwise. So that was kind of my pitch. Um, and so somebody finally, you know, called me, and I think it may have been a year later almost, said, hey, Ray, I remember I met you at such and such a place. We got this deal. Are you still looking to, you know, to partner? I said, yes. And so that was kind of, that was kind of it. So the, the, the foot in the door approach means that I passively invested in a deal and I bought into that network. Because the minute you get on a passive investment deal, especially with the right operator that is willing to provide more than just a, a monthly report, but somebody that's willing to spend a little time with you, then you can essentially get in and, and, and tie, you know, get in, get in touch with the people in this network, whether it's other, you know, partners that are there, whether it's who are they using for the, you know, for the legal stuff on the, on the security side, other, other attorneys, insurance, the whole works. It's all there for the taking. You just have to ask. And so that's one way. Obviously, a lot of people need that kick, you know, to kind of get started. And those, I tell them all the time, it's not a wrong answer. It's just a different answer. Go for the mentorship if you're not comfortable trying to do this alone. 
Yeah, I love it. Again, back to your team sport concept, right? There's uh, there's a lot going on here and you rely on experts to do it. So, well, let's talk about markets. Um, what are you looking for in a multifamily property market before you go pursue it? Yeah, no, good questions. I, I, I have a, and this is not anything special, but it, it helps me remember. It's a big, I call it the big three plus or plus or minus R, depending on how you look at it. So the big three, obviously, is population growth. Very interested in, in, in places where people are moving in. I mean, essentially, that's that demand is going to drive housing. Uh, and then it's going to require additional spaces to be built, or it's going to essentially, if there's too many people, your rents are going to go up because essentially there's higher demand there. So one of those. Uh, then the other two are related to economy. One is, obviously, you know, the, the gross, the, the, the GDP, has to be trending upwards in that location. Uh, and the other one is unemployment. Unemployment has to be either very low or trending downward in that location because those two metrics, they don't always align. They, they kind of run parallel, but the timing is different. So you got to sure. follow them both. That's kind of the big three. And then the, the plus or minus R is essentially what is your risk in those markets? Risk, there's two risks that I that I, you know, that are the primary risk that I that I talk about at a, at a macro level. It's the political risk. What state are you in? <laughs> is there rent control? Uh, you know, how long does it take to evict somebody who's just you know sitting in your property not paying any rent? You know, right, right. That's that's the risk, right? Um, and on any at any point in time, there's always somebody that's talking about they think they have the answer, and their answer is always we're gonna just uh, you know we're just gonna make it easier for people not to 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 live for free. I you know, and and so I'm okay with helping people when they need help, but. We both know in this business, there's a lot of people that just take advantage of that. So, and it, and it doesn't help the situation, but that's a different story. But let's just say that, you know, obviously the Californias, some of these areas where it's just, you know, somebody is in your property and you can't get rid of them for 12 months and they're just there and you're not getting any income. Uh, so it's just a, a tough place. So that's your, your macro level. And sure. then at your micro level, micro level risk thing, I'm talking about what is the crime. And now you really do have to zero in. You can't do big MSA county. You really got to look at that neighborhood. What's the crime look like? Is it trending upwards? Is it trending downwards? Uh, because at the end of the day, you know, when, you know, when people are picking a place to live, that's one of the first things they think about. But, but the idea is you pick the, you pick the markets and the locations first before you start going after assets. And people make mistakes. They get they get enamored with some asset, and they forget about all the fundamentals that are behind that. Yeah, I love it. You know, I heard, and I haven't validated this, but I heard in Portland, if you evict somebody, you need to pay some amount, thousands of dollars for their relocation, which is uh, <laughs> property management is already hard. You know, it's a it's a low margin business. It's difficult. I just can't see how anybody is uh, is making it as a landlord up there if that is indeed true. So I totally agree on the, you know, being in a landlord friendly area. Um, so, I, and, and I love the filter, right? You put a filter through, it's got to meet these criteria before you go out and start looking at stuff. I think it's really important to narrow down exactly what you're looking for. That helps brokers, that helps investors, that helps everybody kind of understand what you're about. Given those filters, what where has that led you to to invest and to pursue properties? Yeah, my my uh, major markets right now are, are Texas. I like Dallas a lot within sure. Texas, although there's multiple markets there uh, that are very good. Obviously, Texas is huge. Business is booming there, 
and the population trends, not just now, but in the future, continue to, to surge forward. I mean, people, and a lot of them are coming from places like California. It's, uh, you know, it's just interesting. I mean, I think, the, you know, some people, it used to be that uh, people would live in California and, uh, and invest in Texas. What we're seeing now is people that are moving out of California right. for a lot of other reasons, uh, you know, that are related to, you know, crime and, you know, how they enforce crime or don't enforce crime. Just, just, uh, you know, some of the, some of the things that people, you know, think about. And I mean, I think, and I don't, I don't have any stats, but I've talked to some people who says that, you know, if somebody commits a petty crime there for like, you know, anything under $1,500 or $2,000 theft or whatever, they're not even prosecuted. I mean, essentially they, they can just go back out there and do it again. There's no risk for them. Uh, and so, so a lot of people are, are moving into places like Dallas, Texas in general. The other state I really like on the East Coast, and I, I'm in Orlando. I love Florida uh, for the same reason. You just have a surge of people that are, that are that are that are coming here, and essentially right. uh, that will continue to come here. They they say that about a thousand people arrive here surplus a day. About yeah, a thousand. Yeah, I feel like the whole country moved there in the last couple of years. I mean, it's incredible. <laughs> yes. And now we do have in in Orlando, there has been some discussion of some rent control uh, that's kind of starting to bubble around because you do, you know, some people do feel like, you know, that, that rents have surged. I think rents have surged because inflation has surged, but of course, that's neither here nor there. And so people right. want to go after the easy, easy pickings, which is we're just going to go ahead and go after rent control. I right. don't know that it's going to pass. I mean, you're still looking at a 10% cap on, on that, but we're paying attention because even within the states, you still, again, you still have to zoom in and make sure that that, that you're paying attention to any risk that would be uh, detrimental to to your returns and your, more importantly, your your investors return in, in, in a syndication. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. So speaking of the syndication, how are you guys structuring deals? Uh, I mean, it seems like a lot of syndicators have a relatively similar structure, but I'd love to hear about how you structure your deals. I mean, essentially, I, I think one of the things that that um, as you grow, the, the biggest difference that I see is when when you when you set it up. You essentially you have your A, your Class A, and your Class B. Your Class A is your limited investors, and your Class B is your is your is your active team, your general partners. Sure. Um, so that's your typical syndication structure. Then some of the GP members of those Class B are part of your manager entity. They're the ones that are actually making the decisions. For asset management, once you you're in the operations mode, um, so that's pretty standard. Um, I don't think we're doing anything too different. I think where you know, as you're operating on uh, you know going after acquisitions, where where it becomes a little bit different and it gets nuanced uh, once you figure out what type of asset class you're going after. But let's assume that you know we're doing value add, you know C plus B minus type assets, kind of what I like. Um, but let's assume that that's all the same. Then it becomes a matter of capital stack. Uh, capital by capital stack, I mean, is it is it just you know your general partner team raising capital from from day to day investors, whether they're accredited if it's a five hundred six C or whether they're not accredited if it's a five hundred six B. Um, so you know where is that money coming from? That's really going at you know that's allowing you to essentially buy these buy these deals. So that's the the, the normal way. And when when they're smaller deals, hundred deal hundred units, maybe a little bit bigger, you can kind of do it that way. When you start scaling and you start looking at 150 plus, you're not competing with institutional buyers. So you have to get private equity or pref equity involved. And now you're adding to that capital stack because not only do you have to you know, worry about the, 
the essential, you know, the, the, the syndicators and the class A limited partners within the syndication. But now on top of that, you have a, a pref equity partner that's bringing in a ton of the equity that you need uh, for these larger deals or you do need a lot more equity up front. And of course, you still have the lender piece. A lender still doing, I don't know, nowadays it's about 65 uh, LTV or, sure. you know, or so, right? Uh, loan to value or loan to cost, depending on what 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 kind of uh, of acquisition you're going after. So that's the majority is still on the lender side, but then you you, know, you still have to come up with 25 to 30% of the money on that for that purchase. And that comes from those, those investors and maybe your pref equity group. Yeah, yeah, it seems like right now the pref equity piece conversation is happening a little bit more with rates up and leverage down. It's tough to make a deal pencil with just a straight, simple capital stack of your debt plus your equity. So we've been looking at the same thing. We haven't, we haven't closed any deals with that structure, but bringing that pref equity to try to get your LPs up to the returns they need to be at seems to be a, a pretty common, um, pretty common approach these days. So looking ahead, you know, we're talking kind of uh, Q4 2022 here. Um, we've got lots of things going on as always, never a dull moment in multifamily, right? We got rates continuing to be hiked. We've got rent growth that we've never seen maybe in our careers, right? I mean, double digit rent growth in a lot of markets. Um, so lots of interesting hap things happening, headwinds, tailwinds. What are you guys trying to do kind of for the next year, year ahead? Are, are you just in operations mode? Are you still trying to buy deals? Are you getting out of deals? What, what's, what are you guys doing? Yeah, no, good question. I, I think one of the key things uh, that passive investors need to pay attention to when dealing with, with uh, potential uh, partners or operators that are going after assets is how bad do they need to buy? Yeah. Like, it's not that whether they're buying or not, how bad do they need it? I, and I'll give you an example of that. I mean, if, if you have a young group uh, and these, these youngsters are out there, they're, 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 they're taking down the world and they want their 2,000 units a year. Um, they live off those acquisition fees. I mean, let's right. let's, not, let's not let's not mince words here. They they need yep. to continue to acquire assets, whether it's a good deal or not. In some cases, I think what happens is the you know that that gray line you know it becomes wider, and they potentially go after them some deals that were not wise um, over the long run. But they they need to they need to live. They need to you know have food on the table. Uh, be careful. This is not the time to go after any you know deals willy nilly. Yep. However, comma, if 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 you have a group that, you know, it's not necessarily, you know, going after a ton of doors, but they're able to be selective, this is not a bad time at all because prices are coming down. We're seeing that. We're seeing that we're getting 10, 20% reduction on some deals. We had a, a deal right now that's still active where, you know, we essentially have gotten a 15, $1.5 million reduction on a sales price. Because of course, if you if your if your rates are going up. You still got to make make the numbers work. So that right. means you got to lower the price. Otherwise, the deal will not give you the returns that you need. Yeah, um, we would have so killed for thing. a fifteen percent price reduction a year ago. I mean, that's unheard of. So yeah, yeah, yeah. The other thing is obviously you can be a little bit more careful now. You don't necessarily need to put a bunch of money hard going forward, right? I like that part of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and you talk. I was just at a conference and there's this broker on stage and he's. You know, I'm not going to name any names. But you say we still require hard money up front. I'm like, I don't know what market you're in, but I'm not putting a bunch of money, a hard money up front where there's so many dynamics and that's right. things that can go wrong. You know, and 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 I think he's just bluffing. I think you know a reasonable deal um, without hard money up front. Maybe some, maybe after the due diligence period, but nothing where where we've been where it was kind of like you know two hundred thousand dollars just to get in the door. 
nothing crazy like that. Yeah. I mean, we've been in the, those situations too. And those are, uh, you know, those are a tense few weeks there while your money's hard before you get, get everything done. But uh, yeah, that is kind of a relief that, that we're not in that market right now to put up hard earnest money. Uh, Ray, well, listen, I love it. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for connecting with our audience. If somebody wants to connect with you, learn about what your firm's up to, how do they do that? The easiest way is to get on my website. It's got all the connections from there. It's mirealestate.us, mirealestate.us. And I'm happy to chat. I mean, I talk to people all the time. And uh, one thing they get from me is they get a pretty unfiltered uh, perspective on things. I, I try not to, I don't, I, don't, I don't sell it. I mean, it is what it is. I love it. That's a great approach. We'll link to that in the show notes. If you're listening, just scroll down in the description. Click right through and you connect connect with Ray on the on the website there. Um, thanks for joining. Really appreciate it. And wish you guys luck in the year ahead. Thank you, Devin. You too, man. Maybe we'll do a deal together one of these days. Hey, not outside the realm of possibility. Uh, have a good one. We'll catch up soon, Ray. Thanks so much. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to the DJE podcast. For more information, please go to DJETexas.com.